Amen. Please be seated. If you have a Bible with you, you can open to Luke's Gospel. We'll look at the beginning of chapter 2, which is a familiar story probably to many of us, especially this time of year. You hear much of it quoted or read at uh, family gatherings. Um, We had a tradition of reading it every Christmas Eve uh, in my family growing up, and uh, for many of those years, um, well, the first 18 of them anyway, I was uh, an atheist and didn't have uh, any appreciation for the value of what was uh, being read. Couldn't wait to get to the present opening part, but uh, it's a miraculous uh, account being told here. We're talking about pretty much the most important night in history, and the the PowerPoint says Luke 2, um, 1 through 21, but we'll stop at verse 20, just so you know. But it's, it's the most important night in history. How do you even begin to talk about something like this, what we're going to read in just a minute? Uh, it's the, the entrance of God's eternal son into the world as a newborn baby. I mean, the, the topic is it's sublime, it's transcendent, uh, it's surely too glorious for words, right? Uh, and even though we cannot fully comprehend the marvels of that night, uh, God was speaking to us in the common language of human life. He, he took the sublime and he flung it, uh, the, the transcendent and the miraculous and the marvelous, he flung it right into the murky darkness of our regular old broken existence in order to fix what's broken in the world, um, in order to fix us uh, because of our sin. God makes the divine and the mundane to interface the result not being, as you might expect, the defiling of the divine, right? But, um, but actually the glorification of the mundane. He takes the unremarkable, the unlikely, the unworthy. He takes even the unholy, and uh, he showers these with unimaginable, undeserved favor. That's the point of Christmas. That's the point of the gospel. And that's the purpose of the Son of God coming into the world. And he accomplished his purpose. So uh, let's read about the beginning of it. Uh, let's pray first, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, there are obstacles in each and every one of our hearts uh, to hearing your word and to receiving it. Um, We pray that you would overcome those obstacles by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would help us now as we consider your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Uh, All the empire. The the empire was the known world at the time. Uh, The two were synonymous. So... This was the first registration, or maybe a better translation is this was the registration before Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day 
in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So, um, forgive me the clearing of the throat, a bit of a cold keeps coming back this week. So, um, how many of you have a little nativity scene on your mantle or on the kitchen table at home? Yeah? I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that it's it's a bright, cheery little scene with... Uh, sweet, peaceful-looking people. Right, my guess is that uh, it doesn't smell like dung and blood, that uh, the shepherds are kind of neat and maybe clean-shaven, and uh, that even the cow and the camel look pleasant and comfortable. Right. Um, of course, uh, all of that kind of reality would be sort of ridiculous when we can make things out of cl- colored plastic. Why make it look bad, Right? But our thoughts about this night in Bethlehem are probably a little too romantic, a little too easy and comfortable, a little too sterilized, um, which really is a detriment to our understanding of the gospel. It really is. Uh, Mary was nine months along in an exciting and miraculous pregnancy, one that turned her whole life upside down, and um, interrupted at the height of anticipation by a three-day hike to Bethlehem, three days uh, for a, a nine-month pregnant woman, three days on the road, uh, walking or maybe riding some kind of animal. But either way, that's uncomfortable. And they had to sign up to pay taxes to an oppressive government. An oppressive government. Nobody wants to pay taxes even to a good government. right? Um, but she and Joseph were wandering around town looking for a place to stay. The sun went down. She goes into, into labor There are a lot of people staying in the inn, apparently, or the lodging area, whatever kind of place this was, and none of them uh, were willing to make room for the lady who was about to give birth. Um, Already, we have there an anticipation of the rejection that Jesus would encounter everywhere in the world. Um, Joseph and Mary found what may have been a cave on the outskirts of town that was used uh, like a cow shed or a stable. It was maybe even owned by the shepherds that are mentioned here that are currently spending the night uh, out in the field guarding their flock. It was there in the dark that young Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. Um, and we all know that, that that first birth is always the easy one, right? Especially when you're in your early teens, as Mary probably was. Mary wound some cloth strips around her son and set him in a feeding trough, exhausted. Probably not the kind of experience that makes it into that book, what to expect when you're expecting. Um, Nearby out in the field, another scene was playing out. Shepherds watching their flock through the night. Now, um, 
Jerry's in the nursery. My in-laws have raised sheep for uh, a number of years. All growing up, she played with sheep. I think nowadays people think that's pretty cool, don't they? I mean, sheep. I mean, we're, we're really excited that our kids get to go visit Grandma and Grandpa, and they have animals like sheep around. But back then, um, in that culture, uh, shepherds were not highly respected. Um, shepherds were at the bottom of, uh, of society. Right? Phil Riken says that shepherds were outcasts. We tend to romanticize the shepherds, especially since there are so many good shepherds in the Bible, but they did not enjoy a very good reputation in their day because they lived out in the fields. They were unable to keep the ceremonial law, and thus they were treated as unclean. They were also regarded as liars and thieves, which is why their testimony was inadmissible in a court of law. Shepherds were despised, with the exception of lepers. They were the lowest class of men in Israel, yet these were the men God wanted to hear the gospel, working-class sinners. So they would pretty much be the last ones that anyone would expect, themselves included, to receive a, uh, a visit from angels. I mean, if heaven's going to break into our world anywhere, it's going to be uh, in the temple, right? Maybe in the synagogue, at least. Um, not outside the city in the dark amid a flock of sheep and these guys. But the shepherds perfectly represented the kind of people that God wanted to reveal himself to. The shepherds perfectly represented the kind of people that God wants to reveal himself to. So the angel shows up in the night with a blast of light, shining with the glory of the Lord himself, right? Maybe you remember when Moses, uh, in Exodus, he spent 40 days up on the mountain, and he came down reflecting from, that, from those 40 days, from that time spent with God, uh, came down reflecting God's glory from his shining face. Well, imagine a holy angel having spent thousands of years in God's immediate presence. Um, I think if the angels had kind of a manual for interaction with humans... Uh, then rules for conversation number one would be immediately tell humans they should not be afraid, (laughs) right? Because it happens every single time, or they will pass out. Um, The shepherds were filled with great fear, the text says. And the angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Shepherds were probably, good, I was sure you came to destroy me for something that I just did wrong, (laughs) you know. Um, But no, I, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So the angel doesn't name Jesus here. Um, The angel Gabriel had already told Mary what uh, the the baby's name was to be. But but he gives him three titles, right? Calls him Savior, Christ, and Lord. He's the the Savior. He's the Deliverer. He's the Rescuer of God's people. Uh, He's Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Anointed King, right? The King who's been anointed by God's Spirit himself. And he's the Lord, which... um, is a divine title. He's not just an earthly ruler. He's no mere human. He's divine. He's God himself. And the angel tells the shepherds that this Lord was born unto you. He's born for you. And again, Phil Riken says that these words are like the tag on a Christmas present that says, to and from. The angel was placing a tag on the manger that said, to the shepherds, from God. So, hey, you dirty, socially awkward, regular old nobodies, God has just become a man for your sake. For your sake. And this is how you'll recognize him. The baby will be wrapped in rags of poverty, sleeping in a feeding trough. Clearly, that's how you would recognize God who just became a man. 
And as they're standing there stunned by the strangeness of all of this, suddenly a massive army of angels appears and praises God, saying, glory to God in the highest, or glory to God who is in heaven, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then they vanished. And then the, the shepherds are left in the dark in the silence, and they look at each other and say, let's go, right? Let's go check this out. And they ran toward town to see the poor infant Savior. So it was all kinds of crazy going on that night. Um, labor and delivery in the cave barn, uh, lower class agricultural workers receiving kind of a single uh, singing angelgram uh, from, from God, all in the uh, historical context of the evil empire's property tax census. Um, we could not come up with this stuff if we tried. Seriously, we could not. Um, why did the most important night in history go down this way? It's for this simple reason. That, that's just how God is. When God reveals himself to us, he never stays within the confines of our preconceived notions about him. He surprises us. He shatters our expectations. And it's not because he's just weird. It's because our preconceptions, our expectations are terribly wrong. The gospel teaches us not to trust our own instincts. We think, well, if God's going to bless anybody, it's going to be those who can, say, provide for their children. Right? Provide a life of comfort, wealth, stability, success from start to finish. At least a good place to be born. Um, but God sent his son to be born to poor parents in an occupied country, in a nation in turmoil. We think that lineage or authority make us somebody because we're proud, we want to be known for, for power, for who we are. But God's idea of royalty is sending his son to be born in the city and house of David. He's the nobody shepherd king. If you remember the story of David, all of his brothers, his older brothers, were lined up there. He was out in the field watching the sheep. And Samuel comes by, and he says, surely one of these good strapping lads is going to be the next king. And uh, God said, nope, nope, none of those. It's the youngest one. Bring him in from the fields. He's the nobody. He's the guy out watching the sheep, right? This is David. Um, it says in Micah 5, which Sam read earlier in our Old Testament reading, it says, you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So, um, God's idea of a ruler is the Lord of time and space washing feet, going homeless, looking for lost sheep. Dying for his enemies. We expect God to come to the rich and the powerful, to those with moral and religious integrity, you know, people who have it all together, because we imagine that if we were all those things, then we might feel worthy of God's attention and favor. But God, uh, He reveals His salvation to shepherds in the field, just, just shepherds who pretty much had nothing together. And he has his angels sing to them of peace on earth. <clears throat> He's not just content to provide a way for sinners to go to heaven. 
He's in the process of righting all wrongs, mending all hurts, reconciling all relationships, giving us all new affections and values, bringing all the glorious perfection and wholeness of the highest places of heaven to earth. He's glorifying, he's making glorious the regular old stuff on earth. And of course, we might expect him to do that for those who deserve it, right? For those who labor diligently to bring about his peace on earth. Doesn't the angel's song kind of sound like that? It says, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased, right? So if you're a good, clean person, God might be pleased with you, and then you'd be a good candidate for his peace and prosperity and things. It's not it at all. Uh, Daryl Bach is a commentator on this. He says that um, that phrase, with whom he is well pleased, is almost a technical term in first century Judaism for God's elect, those on whom God has poured out his favor, those that God has freely chosen, um, in spite of who they are. It expresses the thought of God's free, gracious choice of those that he wants to favor and save in spite of all of our preconceptions, all of our entitlements, all of our efforts. The good news is that God has loved you of his own free will, of his own good pleasure, and he has sent his son to make your life new. He sent his son to make the whole world new, to bring you true and everlasting peace in spite of the fact that you don't have it all together. None of you do. And he has sent his son for you anyway. This seriously offends our sense of propriety, right? The son of God, he was willing to forego all of his rights and privileges. He was willing to suffer humiliation and rejection to become a man. He was willing even to give up his life and suffer alienation from his father in order to redeem the regular, dumb, bad people that God loves. He came because he wanted to serve. He came because he wanted to save the lost. He looked on us with pity as if we were sheep without a shepherd and says, I'll be your shepherd. You can trust me. I'll lay down my life for you. And again in Micah, that Old Testament reading from Micah 5, he says, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. He's glorious because of his humility, not in spite of it. The strength of the Lord, the Son of God, is his humility by which he comes and shepherds and saves and gives peace to his people in all the world. His glory is one of substance. It's a glory of love. It's a glory of service, self-sacrificial love. Right? It's not just a glory of glamour. And you, like the shepherds, have to be taught to recognize that kind of glory. Because you are prone to look for the wrong kind of glory. Right? Remember, the gospel teaches us not to trust our instincts. The shepherds were told to look for a baby not wrapped in royal, soft purple, right? but strips of cloth. Not uh, lying on a golden bed, but in a feeding trough. Um, Jesus said we can recognize him in the same way, clothed with humility, surrounded by poverty, all for love's sake. 
And when you know that he impoverished himself for love of someone like you to make your life rich and abounding in every spiritual blessing, then you will know his peace, not just in the next life, but now. And when you see his life, uh, his given, his life given for you, his self-giving love for you, then you will imitate him and you'll learn to give up your rights. You'll learn to give up your reputation, your comforts in order to serve and love others. You'll be inspired to imitate the angels in singing glory to God. And you'll join the shepherds in praising God and telling uh, those around you what he's revealed to you about his son. The more that you learn to distrust your instincts and to bank on God's grace through Jesus Christ, then the more your life will be turned upside down and the more you'll give him glory for having done it all. Amen. Now let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do sing with the angels, Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. Because of who you are, because of what you've done for us in the person of your son, Jesus Christ, you have begun a renewal in this world that will not stop until you send your son, Jesus, once more to make all things new forever, to unite heaven and earth in the new heavens and the new earth forever. And we look forward to that day where we will know peace forever and truly and immediately, that that peace will never uh, be shaken again. And we long for that day to come, and until then, we pray that you would grant us peace, not just in our hearts, but in our relationships with you and with one another. We pray that you would give us peace, that you would set things right in this world. We're, we're tired of things being broken and, and evil we're tired of our family members suffering and dying. And we long for the peace that you will bring, Lord Jesus. And so we bow before you. We put our trust in you. We thank you that you have come to give us your peace. We thank you that you've sent your spirit into our hearts, pouring out your love upon us. We pray that you would make that more real to us until the day that either we die and see you face to face or until you return and you make all things right in this world. We pray that that day would come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.